Look around you. What do you see? What do you hear? What's that funky taste in your mouth? I'm Mia Lobel, and this month on B-Side, The Senses, as we take you to the B-Side. most of us, the five senses are pretty predictable. We see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and so on. But there are some people who, for one reason or another, experience the senses in a more intense way. For example, have you ever thought about what your favorite song looks like? How about the color of the letter A? These questions may seem nonsensical, but for a select few, these questions actually have answers. They experience a phenomenon called synesthesia. The Greek roots of the word synesthesia mean literally mixing the senses. Some synesthetes attach a different color to each letter of the alphabet. Others see shapes and colors when they hear music, voices, or other sounds. Neurologists are still trying to understand it. Mike Esterman is a cognitive neuropsychology researcher at UC Berkeley. It may be that certain synesthetes are different than others. Um, and I think like one of the big questions in terms of the brain is whether or not um, the synesthetes have certain uh, connections in their brain that other people don't have. Some people say synesthesia is similar to what most people experience when they watch the Disney movie Fantasia. Colors dancing in time to the music, leaves, hippos, and brooms all moving gracefully in a carefully choreographed ballet. But according to one synesthete named Pam, there is more to the experience than even Walt Disney could imagine. I've always found Fantasia very boring. I think it's sort of one-dimensional, and I've never understood what the great fascination was. Fantasia seems like sort of a poor imitation of what this synesthetic experience really is. Producer Erica Kelly spoke with Pam and other synesthetes to learn more about how they see the world through their eyes and ears. Music, speech, any spoken word, or even a noise in nature, a a sound of something falling, any sound will trigger a shape and usually a color. In the best cases, the music and the singing have almost a sound and light show that go with them, which can be very beautiful. You might imagine it as uh, sort of like fireworks, sort of like waves of color and shapes. drawn on a piece of paper the images that come up in my mind synesthetically when I hear these pieces. The first one is Lose Yourself by Eminem. What I always see in my mind when I hear the song is sort of a, a running line of metallic gray geometric boxes and rectangles and when he comes to a, the part in the song that's sort of the break with the lose yourself part I get big gray swooping semicircles with a blue edge It's actually compared to uh, what I see when compared to a complex piece of music like bolero, 
is, is somewhat simple and straightforward. Bolero is uh, one of my favorite pieces of music and uh, I love both the music and what I see. I imagine that the red squares in some way represent the drums and then I see all of these green and pink and blue and black dots which I think represent the piano. Everyone in my family had it, so I thought it was the normal condition. When we were children, I remember my two sisters and I used to argue vehemently about what color certain letters and numbers were, what color certain words were. It was just sort of part of the family culture to argue about these things. My A is green, B is gold, C is green, D is a dark blue, E is brown. Each synesthete has his or her own brown, colors that they black, attach to words, numbers, letters. As nice far as I know, no two are the same. A is a green, M is red, N is black, O is white, P is red, Q is green, um, my name is Cassidy Curtis. I, I have uh, letter color synesthesia, or colored letter synesthesia. I have had it for as long as I can remember. I realized it was going to be one of these things that when you talk about it, people kind of nod their head and smile and go, oh, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or they say, oh, that, that's very creative of you, you know, to make that up. And I'm like, I'm not making it up. It's real. It's not obtrusive. You know, like if I look at this crossword puzzle here, these letters are, are blue because I wrote them with blue ink, you know, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not unable to see that. But at the same time, if I were to scan through this looking for, you know, say the letter G, you know, I would look for something that was G-colored and go right to it. It's like if you saw a black and white photo of a bowl of fruit, you know, you could tell that it's black and white, but you know that really the fruit is in color. You know, you know that the banana is really yellow, even though it looks gray. And in the same way, I know that the letter A is really yellow, even though it was just printed in black. Ooh. Hi, my name is Lori Buenafe, and I have synesthesia. Oftentimes when I hear sounds, it will produce a tactile sensation that's inside of my body and it doesn't feel like somebody pushing me like in a certain side of the body or it doesn't feel like a muscle reflexation. It's a little bit more like a type of shock. There's times like I'll be, you know, like at a restaurant or, you know, talking with someone and it's supposed to be, you know, like a serious talk and then, you know, something happens like a certain noise will occur. Like it could be somebody coughing and for some reason it's very tactile, you know, the sound of it or the tone it is, and, you know, you just want to go, ah, <laughs> you know, just the way that it feels, but then that person would think you're crazy. So, just like doing, like, arpeggios, <laughs> something like this. Like it, it feels nice, like it can, it's making a pattern. And like this part is mostly 
my upper torso, like more in the back area. But when I hit that C, it goes actually a little bit higher, like into my head. And then that's C right there. It just hits like a nice little spot on the head. So it's like taking this sh shower head and then putting it over your head. And then now you put it back on to your back. It was scary at first. It actually created a lot of anxiety. Like even like the pretty stuff that I would see would scare me because I just didn't know where it was coming from. And, and then later on, I just realized that's just who I am. And, and especially now that I understand that there is, you know, syn synesthesia is something that other people have. And I don't fear it like I used to. See me. Kelly is a radio producer from San Francisco. Ah, the smell of spring, the smell of money, the smell of your favorite blanket. Scent is one of those senses that can transport you. Natural perfumer Mandy Aftel has dedicated her life to the craft of pleasing the nose. Besides, Lissa Mudd wanted to know more about this smelly sense and decided to donate her nose to science, at least for an afternoon, at Aftel's Berkeley studio. Lime, pink grapefruit, blood orange, bitter orange, saffron, lavender. These scents are the building blocks of Mandy Aftel's perfumes, almost like the colors in an artist's palette. Painters, and almost everybody else, can visualize colors in their mind's eye. But smells are much harder to conjure up. Still, after years of making perfumes for a living, Aftel can smell things in what you could call her mind's nose. I'm familiar with the smells in my mind. I think of the essences as friends with personalities, and I know who they are. So I, I think about, you know, it'd be like I would think maybe a painter would have feelings about like red or blue or purple and different shades of it. People's reactions to smell are incredibly individual. So the first step to creating a custom perfume is to let people start sniffing and see how they react to each scent before mixing them together. Mandy Aftel says the process is very nose-on. I offered myself as a guinea pig to see, or rather to smell, how it works. So um, just to give you like a tiny... She pulls down some glass bottles of scents for me to smell. Some are liquid essential oils, and some have the consistency of chapstick. They're called concretes. So here, uh, these are two, a little, few little things for you to smell. Okay. The first thing um, I was going to show you is um, things that I know you'd be familiar with. Um, this is jasmine, but this is a jasmine concrete. So here. I have very strong associations with jasmine. So what are your... Suddenly, smelling this jasmine, I was transported back to when I lived in India and I used to buy jasmine garlands from street vendors. The scent, sweet and the teeniest bit rotten, captured that experience completely. It was actually a little overwhelming. Aftel says this kind of strong, almost emotional reaction to a scent is really pretty normal because smell is so linked to our memories. Always 
when I do a custom perfume, somebody will smell a vial of fur or rose or sandalwood or something, and they'll go, oh, my God, you know, this reminds me of riding a motorcycle in Germany or this reminds me of how my grandmother smelled or they'll just have a memory like right then and there and it'll be just boom, it'll completely take them over. Aftel uses only natural scents. It's part of her mission to get us back in touch with our sense of smell. She's written a book about perfume, she started a guild for natural perfumers, and she teaches people how to make perfumes of their own. Aftel thinks we're all missing out on the pleasure of scents that come from nature rather than a test tube. That's because most of us are so used to the synthetic smells that surround us in lotions, soaps, and cleaning products that we don't know what natural odors smell like anymore. I think people, when they smell a chemical rose, they think it's a rose. You know, they they don't know what a real rose, like a real jasmine and stuff, they don't know what that stuff smells like. And I think it's a big thing to miss. You know, I think it's huge to not know what things smell like. But once you have that pleasure reinstated, it's like incredible. Incredible, but subjective. While most of us have strong preferences, there's almost no natural smell Mandy Aftel doesn't like. Take skunk. Most people agree that's a pretty foul odor. She finds it fascinating, which, she says, is a sign of just how obsessed she's become with the world of smell. I did drive by where a skunk had been um, hit or something. He died, it was clear. And, you know, I was, like, rolling the window down. I had my daughter in the car. She was, like, horrified. But, you know, I, I thought, like, whoa, it could permeate so much space. It was so strong. It just seemed to me like, wow, that's amazing. But don't expect skunk perfume anytime soon. For B-Side, I'm Lissa Mudd. So maybe smelling skunk isn't going to make your mouth water. But what about fresh baked bread or barbecue? For commentator Ralph Gaston, these delectable scents took on a whole new meaning when he lost his sense of taste. Food or sex? This was my hypothetical dilemma. A few years ago, a friend asked me if, given no alternative, I'd rather give up eating or having sex. I opted to give up food. I mean, who would pass up on sex, right? In retrospect, I would. But I didn't realize why until the summer of 2002. That's when eating food started to hurt. Everything that went in my mouth caused a burning sensation on my tongue. I thought I might have an infection, but I was wrong. I had cancer. It was in my tongue and it was starting to move. That meant action had to be taken fast. Surgery came first. After 13 hours on the operating table and a week of recovery, I made it back home. A few weeks later, I was healing up just fine. I could even eat soft foods like mashed potatoes and chocolate ice cream. But because the cancer had gotten to a lymph node in my neck, radiation therapy was also necessary. Five days a week, six weeks in a row, the radiation tore into my head and my neck. The tricky thing about radiation is that it's a painless procedure. You lay down, you get your treatment, you get up and you leave. You're in and out in about 15 minutes. The effects of the treatment are gradual. Your skin loses its color. Your hair follicles get destroyed. Oh, and it does a few things to your mouth as well. In about week three, I noticed two drastic changes. My saliva got thicker, 
and painful sores formed inside my mouth, on my gums, on the walls of my cheeks, and on my tongue, so much so that I couldn't chew or swallow any food. Not that it would have mattered. The radiation had fried my taste buds anyway. Understand, I was always the kind of guy who'd look at the menu in the restaurant, hand it to the waitress, and just say, okay, I'll take that. Now everything that went in my mouth caused intense pain, with the exception of water. Imagine biting into something you know, like a cheeseburger, and tasting, well, nothing. All you sense is the pain. It's enough to make the biggest food lover lose his appetite. And so it went, week after week, day after day. Sleep, a morning treatment, and more sleep, Monday through Friday. On Sundays, I'd watch football at a friend's house with my daily snack of Percocet and Campbell's soup. Do you realize how many food commercials are shown during a football game? Every week I'd salivate at the thought of just one true bite into a tangy, delectable rack of baby back ribs, and I'd settle for tomato soup in a can. I was always tired, always hungry. The only thing that dropped as fast as my energy level was my weight. I'm a former football player. Just before my surgery, I tipped the scales at 318 pounds on a 6-foot, 4-inch frame. But with one week of treatments to go, the scale read 260. I was losing 10 pounds a week. None of my clothes fit me anymore. I even had to buy a new belt because the old one was too big. Just when it seemed I was at my lowest point, I reached my 33rd and final radiation treatment. Before walking out of that room for the last time, I took another turn at the weight scale and checked in at a robust 247 pounds. For most men, that's a good size, but not for me. I needed to gain some weight back, and that wasn't going to be easy with those painful sores still all over my gums and tongue. But after a few weeks, the sores started to fade away, and I was ready to try some real food again, if you can call a bowl of oatmeal real food. It's the best tasting stuff I ever had. Actually, that's not right. It had no taste. See, taste buds take months to regenerate. I guess that's beside the point. After five weeks, I got some real food down. It was tasteless, but it was painless, too. It's been a year since then. Most of my weight is back, and so is my appetite. As you might have guessed, I'm not a big fan of soup anymore, and I have had my coveted platter of baby back ribs with extra barbecue sauce to boot. Some things will never be the same. My salivary gland suffered permanent damage, and I'll never grow a beard again, but I'll never forget how hard it was to live without the wonderful sense of taste. So, if I had to choose between giving up food or sex again, I give up sex, and it's not even a hard decision. All you lovebirds go have fun together, because long after you're done, I'll still be eating. Ralph Gaston comes to us from Fresno, California. You're listening to KALX 90.7 FM. Got something to say about what you've heard so far on today's show? Send us your comments, see photos of our adventures in radio, and listen to past shows online at bside-radio.org.
Have you ever felt something so intensely your normal reaction to it gets reversed, like laughing at a funeral or giggling when you're absolutely afraid? Ben Temption experienced something like this when he spent two and a half years in one of the hottest countries in Africa. I am writing this bundled up against a snowstorm in New Jersey. It is 15 below zero with wind chill. The snow blowing around my feet is so dry and fine it looks like sand. Four years ago, I looked out at a similar landscape, wind blowing sand so dry and fine it looked like snow. I was living in Jerbel, the capital of Bowel province in Senegal, and it was 135 degrees hotter than it is right now. On a map of Africa, Senegal is nestled just below the long yellow burn of the Sahara. For three months of the year, it is gorgeous, 70 degrees with the sky a burnished blue like a robin's egg. For the other nine months, the sun burns so hot you get an inkling of the power of a nuclear reactor. In Jerbel, in April, May, and June, it doesn't drop below 100. Not ever. Not at 10 at night when you say Jamga Fanane, sleep with peace. Not at 4 in the morning when you stare up at your mosquito net, waiting for even the softest breeze. Truly extreme heat affects you like the extremes of cold. It is disorienting. Your skin snaps and bristles. When it gets extremely hot, you shiver. When I first arrived in Senegal, I figured 110, 130, hot is hot. What's the difference? During my first three months in Senegal, I was so uncomfortable, I stopped eating and lost 30 pounds. As the temperature climbs past 110 towards 130, you start to put clothes back on. You pull a long sleeve linen shirt over the light cotton t-shirt you wear every day, and over that, a loosely woven boo-boo, like a poncho only down to your ankles and made of bright printed fabric. It isn't comfortable, it just isn't heat stroke. If you were a traditional Senegalese boy or man, you keep on putting on clothes. You would wear a long cotton scarf with foot and a half long tassels wrapped around your neck and a tightly knit cap with a single pom-pom on the top. I guess for me, the circle from hot to cold never closed as tightly as it did for them. From 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., nothing moves. The only sound is the popping of the corrugated tin roof. When you walk down the street, a straight line is inevitably a catastrophe, like walking down the middle of an anvil. Instead, you zigzag from tree to tree like slow butterflies, resting in the shadows of buildings. You never go anywhere where your actual route isn't three times farther than a straight line would have been. When it's early morning and 100 degrees, all you have to look forward to is a long day of pause-filled conversation under an acacia tree. The best you can hope for is to shimmer in and out of consciousness, drifting like dust devils between the stunted bushes and parchment dry grass. Leaves on trees don't rustle, and even flies don't fly. One night, I dragged my bed out onto the porch and fell asleep on my navy blue sheet. I did not once move in the night, held down by the heat as if it were a weight. When I sat up the next morning, a perfect outline of my body was drawn on the sheet in salt, right leg bent at the hip, heel touching the inside of the opposite knee, both arms spread out to the side. I was outlined in dried sweat. 
There wasn't even a sweat spot anymore, only a sweat angel traced by heat. Ben Temshin attends the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism. When it's hot, when it's really hot, sometimes you just want an ice-cold soda. We're all aware this is probably the worst thing you can drink when you're truly thirsty, but sometimes it's just what the doctor ordered. Sarah Varney and Paul Frey produced this piece entitled Misfire, a soundscape about thirst gone awry. Yet as we're home in America, and I see a day. Yet as we're home in America, and I see a day. When Dr. Pepper will be in as we're home in America. Wake up. antidote for hunger, thirst, fatigue, and boredom. I'll have my usual Nelly soup. Lettuce on toast and a cola, too. I'll have the same boss, the same as you. Me, too. Me, too. Me, too. Me, too. Wake up.
Okay, uh, let's start. Wake up, get an icy cold Dr. Pepper. Quick antidote for hunger, thirst, fatigue, and boredom. Producer Sarah Varney and Paul Frey live in San Francisco. This piece was originally produced as a short doc for the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. Misfire was mixed by Paul Lancour with violin by Reuben Moss. With throats burned dry and that cry That's all for this month's edition of B-Side. Our crew is Dave Gilson, Lisa Mudd, and Claudine Zapp. Tamara Keith is our senior producer. Our theme music was composed by Dave Kaufman. I'm Mia Lobel. Thanks for listening. Good night, so cool, and I'm a fool. Each star's a pool of water. <laughs>